The Ain't No Fang Podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. Happy All-Star Week, everybody. I'm Steve Zinsmeister, along with Derek Montia. Cody Fincher, not with us today. What? The bear gets, like, a month's worth of vacation. I don't get it. Is he hibernating? It's ridiculous. We're going on the third week he has not been on the podcast. Has he been in Maine the whole time? or is I, he, I don't know. Or is he just trekking the whole East I, Coast? I don't know how someone can afford this much time off in a row in the first place, let alone to do it somewhere else where you're paying for room and board. I got to get a new agent. Me too. I got to get whoever Bears got. I have three jobs, Steve. I'll never have that much time off. <laughs> yeah, you never will. Um, last time we spoke, since the last time we spoke, at the end of last week, the Diamondbacks were heading out on the road. They were heading to L.A. to face the Dodgers in a three-game series before heading off for the All-Star break. Um, Friday night, I was doing a pregame show on 98.7, basically, for the Diamondbacks game, and... You know, I'm going through the the lineup or the standings, the pitching matchup. Um, don't look at the standings, by the way. It's not don't it's ever, not healthy. Don't ever look at the standings. It's not healthy anymore. In case you're wondering, there are a lot of games back, and there's three teams at the top of the conference. It uh, could division. make it could make your nose bleed from how uh, if you stare too long. Yeah, if you stare too long, <laughs> just how much how unable you, you are to comprehend how it's possible to be 31 games back. Um, the Diamondbacks put up a major stinker on Saturday where they lost 22 to one to the Los Angeles <laughs> Dodgers. And I can't help but laugh because it's kind of the epitome of the entire season and how it's gone. Uh, what'd you see? What'd you see on Saturday, Derek? I don't, I don't know what I saw. <laughs> I saw Hank Hill and his squad of the Zephyrs facing off against the Ace of Diamonds and his jewels, basically. Uh, if you're, if you're not familiar with that King of the Hill storyline, go check that out because it strongly reminded me of bunting against essentially a Harlem Globetrotters style baseball team to get some runs and then them getting mad and coming back and whooping you 22 <laughs> yeah, how'd that work to out? one. At least they got one run, and at least they got the win on on Friday. That probably brought on this onslaught of of runs and just. Do battering. you think the Dodgers losing on Friday was so unsettling for the Dodgers yes. that the Dodgers came out the next day and yes. played that much harder because the, of it? The Dodgers are in a completely different race right now. You know what I mean? The right. Dodgers are facing off against the Giants and the Padres. They have their own thing going on where every win is critical. Having the Diamondbacks stroll into town being as bad as they are is a guaranteed three wins for a team like the Dodgers. I will say that watching them even beat the Diamondbacks 22-1, to I still had a small piece of my soul that said, this isn't a very good baseball team. right they were just they were just the bully that's picking on the little kid in 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 the schoolyard you know just to make everybody else know how tough they are were you in the press box going you're just being mean Dodgers no this was this was I was not I was getting drunk at a bar because of how (laughs) awful the losing was but I think uh it's a weird place that the Diamondbacks are in right now I think that they are kind of able to play spoiler and they're also in the weird category of being so bad that you just kind of want them to continue to be this bad. There's no benefit to them turning it around in the second half of the season. Right, this season's lost. I think last week all I said was it's pride. You know, it's doing it for the purpose of not being one of the worst teams in baseball history. Hey, baseball history is very long. You do not want to be true in a modern day team in that category of like losing the most games historically or just even being around that. The records they've set this season have been embarrassing enough. The twenty two runs I think was the most ever given up 
by the Diamondbacks. It was the most runs ever put on the board at Dodger Stadium by the Dodgers. Uh, I think there it was, was the worst loss in the franchise's history. It was just wild. I mean, they've had a lot of that this season. Uh, and I mean, you know, again, the, I don't know how much the draft matters to people. We just had the draft. Uh, the Diamondbacks got um, a high school kid, Jordan Lawler. Jordan Lawler, great pick, but still weird to me that you can pick a high school kid. Um, yeah, that's not even in college yet, not even developed into any kind of player. I, I, yeah. I, I've seen baseball historically. I know it happens. It's nothing new. I'm just saying it's still weird to me to think about that. The Diamondbacks essentially attaching their you know franchise to some kid right now who's. You Just know. got out of Algebra 2 yeah. at 3 o'clock yeah. today. Yeah. 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 It is weird. It's a little weird. He's but, probably going to um, go, go on Twitch with his friends or something. I don't know what young people <laughs> do these days. I'm surprised you even knew Twitch. That was good. Yeah, that's good. That right? was pretty good. I have friends that Twitch. You you could have uh, I shouldn't say it. I no, was, was going to say, you could have a, a kid his age oh. getting drafted. You're right. <laughs> it's sad. But, like, you know, like, and it's, it's not even like a oh. Yeah, no, it, I didn't no, say anything I, shocking. I just didn't want to offend you. It, you did. I know, but that's fine. That's why I said it. I'm like five years. <laughs> <laughs> Could have a kid that is eight. Oh man. Yeah. I'm yeah. I, I'm not an expert in high school baseball. Certainly don't watch a ton of it anymore. But. Um, Jordan Lawler was widely considered one of the top three prospects. I think Baseball America had him the number one prospect in this draft. Yes. And he ends up going at number six to the Diamondbacks. Now, as long as we all understand, the baseball draft is different than any other sport. Like, don't even consider how the NFL draft works or the NBA draft, where the best player always goes number one in those sports. That's not the case in the MLB draft. The reason being, not only do you have to draft someone and then you own them, you have to draft them, and then you have to convince them to sign with you. Yeah. Unless they're a college player, in which case they have nowhere else to go. So they're going to sign. But this is a high school Unless kid. Unless they're Kyler Murray. He's committed to play shortstop at Vanderbilt. Yeah. Vanderbilt is like a historically great program. Correct. Since basically the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. So the Diamondbacks, by the way, this is not over. They do not own Jordan Lawler yet. They've just drafted the rights to sign him. So now you gotta now you got to convince him to not go to Vanderbilt. Right. And Vanderbilt turns around some great players. Dansby Swanson played shortstop there, and then the Diamondbacks took him number one overall. That's I don't right. want to talk about what they did after that, but <laughs> they picked him number one overall. So, I don't know. It's not a done deal yet, but by all accounts, Jordan Lawler is a super toolsy shortstop rank with number, good size. Ranked number three on the MLB.com prospect rankings. Right. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. The yeah. number one player that was picked uh, was a college catcher, I believe out of Louisville. So that that made a lot of sense. Like a, a lot of organizations love when an elite catcher becomes available. Um, I think Pittsburgh had the number one pick, if I'm remembering right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, there's always good arms that go in the top five. Uh, Jack Leiter from Vanderbilt. Kumar Rocker fell to number ten. He's a really big name yeah. that a lot of people know from Vanderbilt as well. Leiter fell for, further than I thought he would. Where was he picked? Three, four? Yeah. He, he was. I think for a while there. I think he, he went to the, Texas. He was like the overall guaranteed number one pick for a while there and that just shows how fast that can change yeah but again in baseball because it's about how much money you can offer to a prospect and and honestly in baseball teams go by need way more often and and really it's more about what they desire than who's the best talent because i don't think that catcher was the best talent in the draft henry davis henry davis i don't think he's the best pirates i don't think he was the best talent in the draft i think that was just the move that the team in the number one slot wanted to go. It's weird because, again, it's trying to address future needs, right? So as a shortstop, he could be the eventual 
replacement for Nick Ahmed, but is Nick Ahmed going to stick around that long? Well, yeah, how long is how far away is Jordan Lawler? Right. He's a he's high schooler, he's 18. 18, 18 years old, right. Even if even if he's 19 before the start of next season, mm-hmm. You're still probably at least four years away, even if you're a good player. Good news. He turns 19 in a week. Okay. So. I don't think that is good news. No? Because then he's older, and it's still going to take him four years to get there. Now you're 23 instead of 22. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd rather him be super young, I think. That's why they go after high school students. I guess so. Um, also, the All-Star break happening, uh, it wraps up today. I think there are games today. I think New York and Boston is the only game mm-hmm. that happens today, if I remember right. D-backs are having a uh, workout close to the media. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they are back. They are back. They're back together, at least, yep. after the break. Uh, Eduardo Escobar was the only representative for the team at the All-Star game. There is a rule that all teams have to have one All-Star. We're going to disregard the fact that there's a rule and just and say that he deserved it. Let's say two things. One, he did great at the plate. Uh, yeah. He had a great at bat, got a single. Uh, did did everything he could to contribute to the team in his one appearance. Uh, I think that that entire All-Star game is just absurdly boring to watch, and I love baseball. You know, it's it's there's a lot of cool stories. There was a lot of cool moments. Uh, you know, there, there was um, – there's just – you know, we also had repeating champions in both the Home Run Derby and the All-Star game. We had Pete Alonzo in the Home Run Derby. And the AL winning for their eighth consecutive time in a row. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Uh, I really enjoyed Jared Walsh, who's the Angels' first baseman, playing in left field for the first time as a major leaguer in the All-Star game. And he made an absolute amazing catch to (laughs) rob the NL of several runs that they would have put on the board. I think that the problem for me watching it, though, is, again, going back to the representative thing, I don't think every team needs to be represented. I don't think they need to have as many All-Stars as they do. I think it kind of makes it hard, even though you know the AL was able to put up a significant amount of runs, it makes it hard to really enjoy this game because you just have the best players going out there super fresh all the time. You know, you don't have any of the actual fun or enjoyment of a real baseball game when it comes to strategy or leaving a starting pitcher out there for a six, seven innings. You don't really have any of that. You just have this, you know, constant changing of pitchers and and position players and everything, trying to get everybody in. I get it's a fun thing and all of that, you know, but at the same time, there's just part of me that wishes that we saw a little bit more of a normal baseball game out of it. For sure. There's a lot more strategy that gets involved in the All-Star game, not for winning purposes, but just to get everybody in. Right. And not everybody gets in. Shohei Otani had a great night. He went out there and got the win in the All-Star game. Did not get out of the first round in the home run derby, even though it was really crazy fun to watch. That home run derby was so much fun. It was everything to me for the All-Star break. I, I enjoyed that home run derby so much. There was so much drama. You had the swing off. You had lots of things that went on in that um, derby that that made it super competitive, and it just didn't drag on. You know, I, I, yeah. that's the one thing I like about the new formula. No matter what, especially when you see some of these guys like Pete Alonso get into the groove that he got in, where every time he's swinging the bat, he's hitting a home run. That would be boring as hell to watch if there was no time limit <laughs> on it. I think, right, even yeah. with it being monster well, Josh Hamilton did it. Yeah. Right, and that that's what I'm saying. And that though. went on a long time. It went on a long time to the point where you as a I viewer, loved it. you could, you could, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people did. It just, 
it gets repetitive and boring because it's the same thing. And and some right. guys can get into that kind of groove where they just go off. Uh I, I blame Otani not making it out of the first round on his pitcher. His pitcher was throwing the ball in like a tear. Anytime he threw it up, Otani was smashing it for a home run. But huh. about 50% of the time, the pitches were low, and he was still swinging at him. He wasn't telling him to like raise it up. He was still just trying to hit the low ones. You know what's funny? I feel like most of the highlights I see of his 33 home runs he has during the regular season, I, it seems like most of them are low pitches. Yeah, this was weird. He just got into a weird groove where the the top the top of the strike zone was where he was hitting them. Uh I I think watching the pitchers adapt to their batter is impressive. I think Pete Alonso had one of the best guys throwing his to him. pitcher Incredible. was remarkable. Was I saw jealous. an overlay on yeah. Twitter that they did of like four or five different pitches he threw and they all went to the exact, the exact same, same spot. Right. And, and so, he hit them like, all out for home runs. And I and I get it. I mean, it's all personal relationship. It's all this. It's all that. It just stinks sometimes that some guys like there's there's definitely not a consistency to the home run derby because it can strongly be based on where your pitcher is throwing the meatball, you know. But it was just fun. I think it was fun. There were some great stories. Trey Mancini coming back from yeah. battling cancer and being in the home run derby and making it to the finals. Incredible story. Like when we got to the finals, it was a win no matter who won. As far as I was concerned, I, I think that it was impressive, you know, to see that they, I guess they autographed the balls. Really? So, All of them? I don't know. Like, I just saw that on Twitter that someone huh. had one of the balls and it was like autographed by the guy that hit it. So it's oh, like, that's interesting, right? If they went through and autographed all the that's balls, a lot of are, baseballs, to sign. a lot of baseballs to sign. I'm sure they didn't get through all of them. Maybe it's just a couple peppered in, but I thought it was hilarious. They got to the final round. I think Trey Mancini hit 15 home runs, if I remember right. Yeah. And Carl Ravitch on the broadcast basically said, uh, Pete Alonso up now, and he only needs 16 home runs to win it. And I said, you go back to 1999 and you say that to a player going up to the plate in a home run derby, and they would crap their pants. Yeah. yeah. All they need is 16. 16. That's Nobody it. hit 16 no, 20 years ago. No big deal. Just go up there and pop 16 out in two I minutes. went back and looked at 1999, like <laughs> yeah. the home run derby, and there were two guys who hit more than five. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them. That's funny. Especially and all when, the other ones added up were like 10. Especially total. when they make these uh, these outrageous claims that like offense is, you know, going away and guys aren't hitting. No. No, I think I think just when it comes to baseball and the lack of offense, I really think it comes down to the shifts the teams are doing, the data that they have on players, the yeah. fact that they can literally see that someone like as Drupal Cabrera is never going to hit it to the third base side ever. No. So they can always put on a crazy shift and and I've even watched them kind of making shifts during at-bats, and that's been impressive to me. That's where we're at defensively for the schemes. and You know, you just have too much information now on guys. Batting is repetitive. They can figure you out really easily. The really good hitters, those are the ones that still make them, keep them honest and spread it around the, the field and such. But so few of guys are able to do that regularly, you know. While we're on the Derby... Um, one thing I was a little concerned about this year, they changed the rule. Remember they had a rule that I think they instituted it last year that you can't swing at a pitch until the ball you just hit lands. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I guess so they could film the ball. I don't know. Sure. 
Um, now they were. They just, changed the rule and they were like, you can just swing as much as you want. Right. And just go. I think Carl Ravage. And balls were landing after balls were already at their yes, peak. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was worried about that because at the beginning of the Derby, I was watching and I was like, I want to know how far each of these is going. Like, I want them to spend the time on each individual home run to yeah. let me know, like, okay, he hit that ball a mile. I can see that because it went to the last row in <laughs> left field. But then. 10 seconds later, Carl Ravage would be like, he hit a ball 513 feet earlier. And I'm like, which one? Yeah. I didn't, so, like, I, I didn't know if I liked it. But then when we got to the end of the Derby and I looked at the numbers from 1999 and saw that Ken Griffey Jr. hit, like, three home runs, I was like, I like this way better. Yeah. When they can hit, like, 30 in a round yeah. and I don't think twice about well, it. Well, I think getting into that that swinging, like, almost, like, machine-like mechanism where yeah. you're just bang, bang, oh, And bang. I absolutely do not care at all about the player's exhaustion. Oh, no. I don't mind at no. all. Well, they signed up for it. It's three minutes. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like it's They're going to be dog tired, but I don't care. It's not my body. I didn't like the split screen at first because of that. They yeah. Needed to ha- they needed to have the split screen. You had to. And I think it was Carl Ravage that predicted that Otani would actually hit uh, a second home run before the first one that he hit before <laughs> it landed. Pop one up yeah. and then line drive one? Yeah, that's what he was, uh, he was predicting. I just, uh, yeah, there were, there was a lot of things I found aesthetically unpleasing about the broadcast. I didn't like uh, the way that they counted down the home runs. They had kind of a graphic that looked like jersey numbers that oh, like, yeah. kind of made it like, wait, where are the, where's the home run numbers? They almost never know the actual number because they're going so fast. Yeah, that's the other so thing. So you get to the end of the they round were. and they need one home run to tie, and then they hit it, and then the clock runs out, and they hit another ball, and you're like, uh, does it, I don't And Carl, even Carl Ravage at times was like... Does that, does that count? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is, it, is that as, it? As long no, as he, it's not as, it. As long as he threw it before the clock got down, it counted. Right. Uh, I also really enjoyed Grandpa Ken Griffey Jr. just just hanging around, yeah. meandering around the field. I mean, one of my favorite parts of the All-Star game is always the camaraderie. It's always the seeing sure. guys from different teams, you know, dapping each other up and laughing, especially the home run derby. You know, they still make the all-star game a little competitive. It's still not like a it's still not sub- celebrity softball game like no, when it comes to the all-star game. It's hard game. to fake it in baseball. Right. You can't just fake swing at a pitch. You can't just throw a ball up there at 50 miles per hour. You right, know what I mean? Like right. you can't slack off in baseball. Right. You, you have to try. I just think it's the uh it's the it's the extracurricular stuff that makes it so enjoyable. You know, you had like Trey Mancini at one point talking with um you know, just different all-stars about, like, his swing and stuff and just them laughing and, and having a good time. And, uh, like, I love that so much. But Ken Griffey Jr., just kind of being there as, like, media and, like, walking around, going over to, like, the ESPN guys and putting on a headset and just getting on the broadcast yeah. to give his two cents. Carl Ravitch asked Ken Griffey Jr. at one point, are you having flashbacks to your home run derby? He goes, nope. <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah, we, he's like, I didn't hit this many home didn't runs. didn't do this back then. <laughs> it's like, back then we got, like, 10 swings and we were done. <laughs> yeah. They're taking, like, 100 hacks. Yeah, it was. It was, it was the number of, right, like, every swing was an out whether you hit it or not or something like that. No, well, originally it was 10 out. Yeah. So ten balls that don't go over the fence. Right. Which and you're is crazy. Which be, was usually like fast. fifteen twenty swings. Right. Otani wouldn't have hit a single home run. I don't think if that would have been the case this year. Uh yeah. He and Gallo had really slow starts. Yeah. Well, actually, Trey Mancini in the first round, he hit two home runs and then called a timeout with about two minutes left in his round. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I texted a friend and I was like, "So much for that great story." Yeah. And then he went off yeah. and he hit like. <laughs> 
20 plus and in the he, second half yeah, of that round. And then so he made it to the finals. That's what makes the home run derby fun for it me. Was it was great. I don't really even mind great. when they change the formats because it's always different. It's always a new exciting experience. I agree, but I, I, but this I think is you're good. right. I think you're right. Like they've refined it and they've tried to make improvements slowly without like doing anything too radical. I think what they have in place though is is perfect, to be honest. It was a lot of fun to watch. Your 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 point that you brought up is probably my only criticism. It's so much, it's so fast yeah. that I don't get to really enjoy any single home run because I'm trying to watch him swing at the next one and this one hasn't even landed yet. I think what would be perfect is if they did I they do this in video games, but it's obviously a whole different thing. But when the ball lands in the stadium, I want it to immediately tell me how far that ball went. Like for a number to just pop up wherever it landed. They were doing that. Didn't they have like a little target that popped up with a number over the but top of it? But they don't do it for all of them. Yeah, no, they definitely didn't do it for all of them. I want to know, especially the ones that land in like the third deck. I want to know that. By the way, did you see one of our colleagues ran into Pete Alonso? Yes. After the derby yes. at a bar? Yes. <laughs> how, how great is that? Uh, he had a great sports week. And he, he, and he went you know, to a Suns finals game and yeah, then he went did. to Colorado. And for an Pete Alonso game. asked the group of guys, did I win any money for you guys? Like, did you bet on me? <laughs> <laughs> How great I love that? that he's such a degenerate deep down inside that he's like, <laughs> would you guys make gambling on me? What's, yeah. what's up? How'd we do? How'd, How'd we, we make do? out this week? Come on, give me a percentage. I want my cut. Um, you were out at the D-backs watch party for the Suns game. Yeah. They, I mentioned this last week. Um, I thought that it would be the most highly attended event in, <laughs> at Chase Field all year long, and I'm probably right about that. You are right about that. Uh, except for maybe like a Dodgers or Cubs game, maybe. Not but. even the. I mean, well, okay, what I will say honestly is some of those games that have been heavily attended by the opposing fans probably had more people at it, but because the entire stadium was open up. Right. They only sold 15,000 seats for this, and they could have easily sold 30,000 total. The The event sold out days before the watch party. I knew people that wanted to go that couldn't go because they didn't get a ticket. There was the entire upper deck was closed off. And they really? Could have, they could have had that open because you get a great view of all you're looking at is the, the scoreboard, the scoreboard, right? So, Which is dead center field. It's, it's one of the bigger ones in baseball. And, I mean, honestly, if you're down below like where we were, you have the net in front of you, whereas you wouldn't have that on the second upper deck. The, the, True. It's, they it, can't take the net down, can it, they? It didn't impede my enjoyment of it in any way, shape, or form. But I'm just saying, yeah. speaking frankly, there was a net in between me and the scoreboard. Right. I, I get also it involves having more staff there and having those concession stands upstairs open and things like that. But I really feel like it was short-sighted. They could have made you a lot of money. Games. Could have had a, made a lot of money off of this. You know what I mean? And I think that people would have really enjoyed the atmosphere. I enjoyed being around so many Suns fans and not spending $1,000 on a ticket like they currently are for Game 5. Here's the real question. Can we blame the Diamondbacks' suckage for rubbing off on the Phoenix Suns and losing Game 4? Absolutely. You can blame... <laughs> You're all on it? You can blame it on your buddy that got up, went for nachos when the Bucks turned things around in the fourth quarter. You could blame it on the jersey that you wore. You could blame it on whatever you want. It's all fictitious nonsense. If I out if I affected the outcome of games, <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times I would have had to rewrite articles. Right. A lot of times I just because I want to start my article and I want to start filling facts in and start progressing it so I'm not at looking at a blank page once the game is over, I kind of have to pick it from a perspective of whether the Diamondbacks are going to win or lose. You have to go on the narrative that's available that's to you. That's available to me. So if the Diamondbacks put up five runs in the first inning, I'm writing a story about them winning, and I can't tell you how many times they've actually 
won the games that I've started writing about winning and how many I'm I'm definitely in yeah, what's in, their track record. I'm in the black as far as <laughs> as winning games when I've called a win. If That's I, good for you. If I was affecting it with my mojo, they would have lost I don't know, probably at least another 12 games this season. Yeah. <laughs> at least. Good thing we don't put that you in charge of that. I I think it's weird because I'm still a guy that will uh plans to stand for the entire next game when I watch it at my house. I still completely believe in all of that stuff. Uh, and I still think it was totally the Diamondbacks' fault that the Suns lost that game when they all wore the Suns' gear on their road trip out oh, to San yeah. Diego. I heavily blame that for that loss. And there was one player who wore a Mercury shirt. Yeah. Was that See, Marte, maybe? Yeah, I can't I think, remember. I think they lost that game, too. I will say this, though. Uh, the real loss is on Chris Paul last night. I think they squandered an opportunity to really put you know, their foot on the throat of the Bucks and, and go for it and win it in five games. I think the Bucks have a renewed confidence, but I still think the Suns are the better team, and I th- still think they're going to win in six games. Um, when it comes to, because the All-Star break in baseball ends today, basically. Essentially. Um, and the Diamondbacks will be back, what, I believe tomorrow. And I will be there for six games in a row, believe it or not. Oh, I'm, wow. I'm going to sleep at Chase Field. Tell me about the second half. What player do you think is most needing of a bounce-back second half, and what player is in the best position for a bounce-back in the second half? I would say my biggest candidate is Cattell Marte. For which one? For who would need to bounce back and maybe even who will bounce back. I think that he has been affected by those injuries, and I think whenever he has been healthy in spurts, he has been the best player on the team. I just think that there is, I think there's something a little bit wrong with him. I think, you know, the hamstring, the legs, the conditioning isn't there. I think, uh, I don't want to blame it on him playing center field. That could definitely be a possibility. I, I don't really know. I But I think that it could easily be any one of their injured players that are coming back in the second half based on the amount of time they missed and based on how, you know, little they got to contribute to this team team Zach Gallen, Madison Bumgarner I, I I would say Bumgarner maybe is even in more of a need of a bounce back than Marte just based on the size of his contract and the way people look at his lack of success with the Diamondbacks I still think he had a pretty good first half for when he was healthy it's just not still not Madison Bumgarner numbers you know it's still subpar compared to what his average is yeah, I would say Marte probably doesn't need a bounce back because he's actually hit really well when he's been out there. Right. Um, so maybe he's not in the need category, but I think you're right. He's probably in the best position, especially given the fact that he's the most talented player they have on the squad. Um, and his injuries don't seem that serious. I mean, I'm not saying that the hamstring thing isn't serious, but he hasn't had to have surgery or anything like that. It's right. it's it's more of a pulled muscle, and it's kind you just got to re- recover. It's reaggravating it, and yeah, the the worst part about it is that you never know when it's going to show its face again. It it can literally happen at any point that he sprints down the line or runs for a fly ball or or anything, you know. I'll put out a name, another name for um, somebody who's well positioned for a bounce back in the second half Merrill Kelly who was pretty impressive in his last handful of starts before going into the all-star break he has a bit of momentum I'm looking right now at his last couple of starts five and a third innings one earned run five and a third two earned runs seven innings three runs six innings no runs seven innings one run I mean in his last 
five starts, he hasn't given up more than three runs. Yeah, that's why I wouldn't put him in any kind of bounce-back category, merely because by comparison to the rest of the pitching roster, he has easily, easily been the Diamondbacks' best pitcher. He is responsible for every single win that stopped some sort of terrible losing streak that they <laughs> yeah. were on. Seriously, when you go to True. all of the streaks, the road losing streak, Merrill Kelly ended. The franchise worst losing streak, he ended that one too. You know, I think uh, Lavallo has referred to him several times as their stopper. You know, he's but, the one that kind of resets everything and kind of gets them back on winning track a bit in his outings. He's still not having a great season, but right. it, again, it's comparatively to what the other pitchers uh, are doing. Here's know? my argument for bounce back, though, for him. Because before those five starts that I mentioned, his ERA was 5.4. Yeah, not great. Not not good at all. And so... Well, it's still 4.46 on the season, right? Right, 4.46, which, again, that's not horrible, but it's not good either. Yeah. So I would say, I mean, that first half alone, not a great start to the season, but he's hot lately. And if he can continue that through the All-Star break, I think he's well-positioned right now to continue that and to to be maybe the Merrill Kelly that we saw for the first half of last season. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just I just have a secret for you, oh, Steve. Oh, please. Uh, the Diamondbacks haven't been very good Wait, as a team. What? The whole first half. I know. Yeah. So I know, I, I know, yeah, and and I get it. It's the it's the fact that they just had no 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 reliability when it comes to starting pitching. Um, even even Kelly, you know, and that's he contributed to a lot of their losses. I mean, he has he, he's five and seven in nineteen starts, you know, Oof. and and a lot of those wins have come lately. So I think you're kind of right in regards to how bad the beginning of the first half was for him. How about this? How about this for a player that needs a bounce back in the second half? David Peralta has fallen off the face of the planet, basically. He's not hitting for any sort of power. Uh, I think I, I heard, this was about a week ago, I don't know if he's hit one since, but I heard that he hadn't hit a home run in weeks. He has four home runs this season. He's four home runs. He's playing every day. He's really like the main outfielder that the Diamondbacks have because Cattell Marte has spent time on the IL. Cole Calhoun's been on the IL. They've tried a bunch of different people on the outfield. Um, David Peralta needs to figure it out or else he might not be here very long. And I know that we all considered him probably a trade candidate this trade deadline. I don't know that he's doing anything right now that would even warrant him being acquired by another team. He's hitting a lot of triples. He leads the league in triples. (laughs) Okay. I I, I guess that's better than nothing, but... Uh, I'm looking for something here, man. I mean, he's got 41 RBI. He's not a terrible batter, and again, I think a lot of people see the situation with the Diamondbacks, like what we were talking about with Escobar last week, and see a player potentially need that change of scenery. Well, also with Peralta, though, I'll say this. His defense has been atrocious lately. That it has. That He's it missed has. playing routine fly balls. Uh, I don't necessarily trust the arm as much as I used to. Man, I know uh, he won a gold glove as recently as, what, 2019, I think? Lavolo had grown major league adult players doing fly ball drills steve i mean what does that tell you you don't make major leaguers do fly ball drill mandatory <laughs> no. fly ball that drills? should be a requirement before you make it to the major league My you should goodness. know how to catch yeah. fly balls and so that's i think a bit of it is just kind of making it more routine you know like get that pre-programming out there, start shooting some fly balls over that weird porch in center field at Chase Field. You know, the just getting familiar with learning how to play out there. Sometimes I see guys like um, 
Adam Jones used to just make some spectacular plays in right yeah. field, right? But what he used to do that amazed me the most was he just understood what the ball was going to do when it hit certain parts of the walls out there. He was always in the right position. He was always in the right position. He understood that if it was going to hit this padding over here in the right corner by the foul bowl pole, he needed to position himself off to the left because right. it was going to shoot out and it was going to be a, you know, kind of go on the ground over here. That's what always uh, that's what good outfielders do. They know more than just the fly ball. They understand the dimensions of the park. And it's how not a are- talent. You don't have to be more talented no. than the other guy to do that, no. right? No, it's really it's not. Studying it's studying and it's, knowing things. It's putting the work into it. I mean, yeah, you're going to have guys that have more gifted athleticism. Again, Adam Jones was a gifted athlete. He made a bunch of spectacular plays when it came to like robbing home runs and such out there. Uh, but at the same time, there was the little things he did that sometimes you don't really pay that close of attention to that impressed me a a ball that probably would have turned into a triple being held to a single just based on the way he played it and kept it got it back into the infield quickly you know those kind of things uh they they definitely struggle with that i i i wonder how cole calhoun will do coming back because i know calhoun was a solid defender uh and i think that his return could definitely impact you know just their whole outfield moving guys around just having that further option out there they've they it they did not plan for a rainy day, and it poured. That's what happened to the Diamondbacks this season. I've been criticized for kind of protecting them and blaming a lot of it on injuries, but it wasn't injuries. It's depth. They mismanaged the team when it came to depth. You have to have a plan when injuries strike. That's it. Everybody's going to have them, so it's a matter of whether or not you have good people waiting in the wings or not. Now, my criticism is you're mortgaging the future of some of your minor leaguers just to fill out the roster. And you're being super impatient with guys where you call them up and they have a bad outing at major major league level, just like all of your pitchers have been having. Corbin Martin. Next day you're DFA them or send them back down or whatever. You know, these are the things that concern me is how that impacts and impedes their development. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, those are the future. Those are the important guys that we need to put a lot into. Major league ball players aren't just born and then pick up a bat and start hitting home runs. You know what I mean? There's a lot of coaching. There's a lot of things that go into it. The, there, there has to be some concern that Diamondbacks pitchers leave this team and do so much substantially better elsewhere than they were doing here. After a while, you can't just blame the players or say they had a change of scenery. Sometimes you got to blame your staff and the way that you're handling players the information that you're making them go with uh how you're making them you know game plan and things like that taiwan walker great season all-star wade miley another guy that's been great since he left here there's just a lot of guys that struggled here that people were kind of i mean i won't say taiwan walker he didn't seem like too many people were happy to see him go but like wade miley was a guy that people were like see ya yeah, get Gambo over here with the limo and take him home, and then yeah. you know these guys leave and go elsewhere and turn into you know quality starting pitchers that the Diamondbacks could use at this point in their franchise's history. I was watching the home run derby and Pete Alonso was going at it, and Taiwan Walker was his teammate that came out with like you know the Gatorade, <laughs> the Gatorade bottle. bottle, and I did the Leonardo DiCaprio meme where I was it's like, "It's him! It's him! <laughs> it's the guy we non-tendered." I know you. Tacos. I'm I pointing. Love tacos. I'm pointing at the TV like, oh, oh, I yeah. know him. Yeah, 
We had him. Yeah, he was ours. We gave him away. He's an all-star well, now. People are still doing that with Max Scherzer. I so, know. Yeah. We need to get over that one. We can't. Actually, we can't. No, we can't Paul Goldschmidt, Max Scherzer. I mean, these are all guys that are always going to... When your team's bad and doesn't move on and make new stars and such, you're always going to remember the guys that could have been and well, were it's left and went elsewhere and It's different that. to me when you non-tender a guy and then he's an all-star mm-hmm. like a year later. Mm-hmm. It's different than trading your best player and knowing that you're trading your best player. Right. It's different to me. And then the Max Scherzer thing is he was more of a prospect at the time they traded him. He wasn't like an established ace. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I get both of those. Taiwan Walker... You literally decided he wasn't worth signing a contract for like $4 million or whatever it was. And what was crazy about that was an all-star. he wasn't bad as a Diamondback pitcher. You know, when he was here, he had some pretty good seasons. I know he was injured, but man, I mean, he had, uh, let's see. Oh, they, there we go. Actually, now uh, that I'm thinking about it, was he an all-star? 3.46 and a 3.49. Or was he just at the Derby? He is an all-star. Yeah, he got Taiwan Walker. Uh-huh. He got in. Okay. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He I figured was. he wouldn't be there if he wasn't an All Star, right? Um, but yeah, three point four nine ERA in twenty seventeen, three point four six ERA in twenty eighteen. So, yeah, but now this season, uh, two point five zero. Well, <laughs> it's not like Taiwan Walker was atrocious as a Diamondback. He was hurt for a lot of it. Yeah, they just didn't want to wait around for him, and I understand that. I get that. It's not like they were saying he he sucks. He just wasn't available, and that's a big part of sports is being available. They replaced him with Madison Bumgarner, essentially, though. Which a lot of us would have taken in a heartbeat. Sure. And we did. And we did. And we celebrated it. And we were wrong. Yeah. Yeah. We were wrong. We were wrong. I don't like admitting that. I'm sorry, Taiwan. Can we not do that? I... <laughs> we're going to stop doing that. So we grow as people, Steve. <laughs> I, I refuse. <laughs> I refuse to grow as people. Um, give me a bold prediction for the second half for the Diamondbacks. I think they're going to do better than they should. What does that mean? I think that they're going to like screw themselves out of the number one pick. <laughs> they're going to. I think they're going to get start like the, winning in September. Yeah, and oh, I think they're going to get like the third pick. I think they're okay. going to start playing with like a little bit less. I don't know sense of urgency without that same pressure because who cares at this point it's the second half of the worst season of franchise history just let's go out there and play some baseball and try to win some games i think that alone will probably free up a lot of guys mentally to play a little bit better i think they're going to get a bunch of guys back all in one kind of at like a one time at one time it's going to be gallon and Bumgarner and cal they're going to get a lot of guys back and i think they're going to win some games i i (laughs) i think they're going to win more games than they should i think they'll probably end up with maybe 50 wins, and it'll just be enough to not be the Ugh, worst team in baseball. That feels horrible. Isn't that crazy to say that 50 wins is somehow also like a good second half in some way? <laughs> yeah, you're like, I hope we get to 50. Uh, my bold prediction for the second half, Tori Lavella will resign. Oof. Not get fired, not be told, hey, we're not going to renew you at the end of the season. Tori Lavella will resign. I think eventually, if they lose enough games, they will get to the point where he will not want to be around because he is the kind of strong-charactered guy that he will look at the situation and say, all right, I'm not getting the job done. I don't want to be detrimental to this organization. I think he will have that kind of self-awareness. I don't know. I'm probably wrong. but It, it, it could feel like that. Um, on the flip side of it, it could feel like he's abandoning ship 
of a sinking ship, and that could well, it'll come out I mean? in a press release of like mutually parting of ways. No, I that's totally, what it'll be called. I totally, get but it. I'll bet you, and we may never even know the answer to this. Even if it does happen, we may never know the truth. But I would think Tory would be the one that would be like, "Hey, I'm out. Like this isn't working. You guys don't want to keep me. I'm not doing a good job. Like these guys don't aren't doing a good David Peralta's fly ball incident last week. <laughs> tell me that. Tell me that David Peralta in the moment really, really wanted to get that fi- fly ball for Tori Lavella. That stole. Five, he didn't. That stole five years off of Tori's life. That fly ball single handedly. Tori, I heard somebody I, the other day who was in the clubhouse. I think it was uh, might have been Farron or somebody else who interviewed him, and they were talking about Tori Lavella looks like he's aged a decade yes. this season. Yes, and that's. No offense to Tory, it's, it's just the situation he's in. It's and not. this happens to managers and, and coaches of all sports when you go through difficult stretches like this. It happens to presidents of the United States. Uh, you age tremendously when the pressure is on, and there's been no worse season than this season. I have watched Tori Lavola this season shrivel down into like one of Ursula's little... Uh, creatures that she turns people into when she steals their souls and the this Little a Mermaid Disney reference. It's a Little Mermaid reference. Yeah, that's, that's Disney. She's right? a sea witch. Yeah, it's Disney. she's a she's a what? She's a sea witch. Oh, yeah. And okay. she okay. wants to steal people's souls and sea turn them witch. into these little shrunken down, shriveled up creatures. And that's what Tori Lavello is from this season. Okay, I have. Public, I don't get it, but I, I okay. It's the way that this team has sucked the life out of this ah, poor man. I see it. I have said publicly entirely too much how much I like Tori. I think he's right. a great guy. I think he is easily like he's very easy to talk to. He has a great demeanor. All things considered, what he's gone through this season, I feel like he puts on a pretty honest, brave face and comes out there and talks to us. I don't think I, I mean I, there was those jokes early on about him using the same cliches and some of the like bingo sheets that they put out there about it. And he's yeah, he's done that during the losses too. But at the same time, you kind of see how when the team's this bad, it becomes a necessity to like mentally have just things prepared. You're going to say so you don't come out there and sound angry and frustrated all the time you know he is you can see it on his face you can hear it in his words when he comes out and doesn't make a statement before he starts taking questions you know he's already at his wits end he has nothing to even open up with a lot of times he wants to get a lot of the questions we have to ask out of the way initially so he'll come up and be like well it was a tough loss you know blah 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 merrill kelly did great out there i thought he gave us you know six strong innings and put us in a position to win I just thought the bullpen fell a little short. Uh, they got nicked up for a couple of runs. I mean, I could do his old bit. I could sit here and say every— <laughs> You want to just hold a press conference I right could, now? I could. Um, we'll do that on next week's loss, podcast. Loss, win, whatever. <laughs> you, whatever your choice is. Uh, well, I, it won't be a difficult choice. But I think that he—you know, it's—what you're saying is very valid. I think there's a lot of validity to him— stepping aside and just feeling like at this point it's not working. And it's I just feel a like prediction. I'm detrimental to this team. I still don't believe that it's his fault and to be blamed on him. I don't either. You and know. I don't think he should think that. But I just feel like at some point he's either going to get thrown to the wolves or he's going to have to step down himself. I wouldn't be surprised now at any point because I still think about them firing their hitting coaches when their team was averaging like five runs a game and was in the middle of the pack for run production as yeah. far as Major League was concerned. I asked somebody the other day, why not fire the pitching staff? Correct. Because they're worst in the league in right. pretty much everything right. pitching. Um, so I asked somebody that, and they suggested maybe that pitching staff matters more in the minors in the minor leagues. How are you training your pitchers coming up through the system? 
versus the performance in the major leagues. I don't, I don't know. I think you could make the same argument for hitters, so I, well, I don't know why it's that Matt, would apply. Matt Hurgis, and you know, the thing is, a lot he's well-respected. He is. He's got a lot of um, histories, and or he's got a lot of, you know, just time in this game. I think that there's, you know, a lot of respect for him, and that could be why. I was just surprised that someone had to take the fall, and when it was someone, it was essentially blamed on the offense, you know, in a way, when... Again, it's to yeah. me the offense has never really been the problem as much as how bad this pitching staff has been and how depleted it's been. If, if, if you don't need to fire anybody, is I guess my thought is you don't need to just fire someone. Just oh, I disagree. To, you got to fire somebody just to figure it out. You just lost twenty two to one. Somebody get, somebody's got to get fired for that. Did you fire Bear <laughs> and not tell me? It's my secret. <laughs> Ratings haven't been great lately. Oh my so. god. We had right. to, we had to can somebody. You're welcome, by the way. Thanks. I'm around. glad I could. Stick Sorry, around. Bear. Sorry, Bear. We miss you. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, mine's just a bold prediction. Yours is just a bold prediction. We'll see how the second half breaks out. And uh, <laughs> a bold prediction is that they're going to win 24 more games in the second half. All right, so not as, not as bold as. <laughs> hopefully, not uh, that bold. I guess, yeah. but uh, we'll keep an eye on the standings. I don't want to, but we will because that's our job here on the Ain't No Fang podcast. And maybe we'll get Bear back next week. I don't know. He says he'll be back. I don't know if I believe him. I don't think he's ever coming back. They have sports radio in Maine, right? Do they have a team? <laughs> what is know. he doing up there? I think he's joined Boston. I think he's he's a Red Sox fan. Now, I probably. think he is done with sports in the same way that Lavello might be. Done hey with Bear, his team. when you when you get done with your clam chowder, come on back. We're uh, we're ready to do a podcast yeah. with you, if if you still care about us. Skype in or something, man. Jeez. <laughs> We'll keep an eye on the second half of the season, not only for the Arizona Diamondbacks, but around baseball as well. We thank you so much for spending some time with us this week on the Ain't No Fang Podcast. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. That's Derek Montilla. It is the Ain't No Fang Podcast at ArizonaSports.com and on the Arizona Sports app.